Well, good morning, church. Oh, that was pretty sad. Morning, church. <laughs> My name's Katie. I'm one of the elders here. If I haven't met you yet, it's lovely to meet you from here. And they must have done okay last time they asked me to preach. They've asked me to go round two. So we'll see how we go this morning. How's that? But it really is an honor to be here. I've been away the last two weeks, and it was something really special walking back in this morning and coming back home to family. So I think we're pretty blessed here at Coolangatta to have that. This morning is our last Sunday in this series of Encountering Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I've loved this series. I've loved coming back to hear the stories of how Jesus impacted people in the Bible. And in many ways, it's invited us to share the stories of how God has impacted our lives. And I want to encourage us that while this may be the last Sunday we talk about it from the pulpit, it's not the last Sunday we talk about it as community. That there's power when we talk about how God's impacted us and changed our lives. So whilst there is no food truck today, sorry about that, but I do encourage you to stay for coffee after the service and have those stories about what God is doing. And let's continue that in our small groups. I'm excited for the next series, Crucial Conversations too, because I think it's good to actually get real as to what does the Bible tell us about what's in the world right now. So today we're talking about the last story we're going to talk about in this encountering series, and that is the widow of Nain. So we're talking today about the hopeless widow. Let's have a look at this scripture, shall we? So we're reading from Luke 7, 11 to 16. Now it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said to her, do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And he presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen up amongst, among us, and God has visited his people. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this series that we've been in. Lord, I thank you for the stories that you've given us through your word. Lord, I thank you for Jesus and the encounters he had with people and the encounters we still have. Father, I pray today as we talk through this scripture that my words will be your words. Lord, that you'll prepare hearts to hear what you have for us to hear this morning. Lord, open my ears, open my eyes, open our hearts to receive what you have. In your name, amen. So let's have a little look at this scripture. Oh, sorry, no, before we do, before we do, there's been some big events that have happened in the world recently, would you agree? If I show you this image, who watched the funeral of the Queen? Come on, be honest. Because stats show that one in five Australians sat and watched that on the Monday night. That's a lot of TVs sitting and watching the funeral, or maybe you had it in the background like I was while you are doing other things. This funeral stopped the world. 22.6 million people in the UK stopped and watched it. I just think that's phenomenal. We're talking about in this scripture a funeral procession. We don't really see them like we did this one or this. 2,000 people were involved in this procession. The Queen had privilege, we know that. She was a woman who lived a little bit differently than you and I do every day. But it was a funeral procession that stopped the world. But these images help me picture what we're talking about in this scripture when we're talking about carrying a coffin through the town. I will say we do have a lot to be thankful for for our Queen. 
we had a queen who loved and served Jesus. And if you have a look, there's lots of quotes online where she's left, um, I think, left a pretty good legacy where she's talked about her faith in such a public arena. But this funeral stopped the world in the same way that the funeral we're talking about today stopped what was happening in the town of Nain. So, let's have a look. Let's talk first about the widow, shall we? So, if we go back to our scripture, we're talking about a woman who had lost not only her son, who was being carried through the town, but she was also a widow. She'd lost her husband. Our society today is not the same as it was then, but because she had lost the men in her world, she had automatically gone from being someone of worth to someone that was worthless. She had gone from someone who could, you know, maintain a home, who could be presented in society, to now someone that was looked upon almost with shame. She was looked upon as not equal, not the same. It changed her status, but it also changed her future. So our first point is the woman's worth. There's three points today if you're following along and you get a little bored, so you'll know when we get to the third slide, we're nearly there, okay? So the first one is the woman's worth. She, she had that situation because of her society. Our society is different than that today, but it is so easy to get caught up and forget that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I don't know about you, but while our world is different, I still get swayed by it. I still get swayed by the, what the world says I should and shouldn't do, what I should and shouldn't wear, what I should and shouldn't say. I still get swayed by that. But if we actually have a look at what the Bible says... The Bible's pretty clear about who we are and what he calls of us. There's lots of words in the Bible that describe us. Here's some. We are accepted. We are justified. We are united with the Lord. We are bought with a price. We are a member of Christ's body. We are adopted as God's child. We are redeemed. We are forgiven. We are complete. We have been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. We are citizens of heaven. We are God's co-workers. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. I love this next image. When I did a bit of a search on this, and as a teacher of teenagers, talking about our identity in Christ is something I talk about a little bit at school. Because quite often as teenagers, that's the thing that they really need to hear to get their firm foundation. But I love this image. In case you can't see, it's a fingerprint. And it's a lady who wanted to do a Bible study to actually work out, who does God call me? What am I? Who am I? And so she did a whole Bible study, and for each verse she found, she added it to a line on her thumb. So she took a picture and added it. And I just, I love that. I love that as a Bible study tool. Maybe for one, maybe someone out there is struggling a little bit, going, I just don't know who I am. And maybe this is an activity you can do to just remind you that God calls us his, that we are loved, that we are not defined by the world, but we are defined by what Jesus and the Bible says about us. I'm going to bring it home a little. I've got a water bottle. Who's bought a water recently? Who's gone and bought a bottle of water recently? Yeah, right? I did a big road trip. I did 1,500 Ks these holidays. So I did stop at a few servos and did buy a few bottles of water. Now, if I wanted to buy this from Coles or Woolies, it might cost me 50 cents to a dollar, depending on how bulk pack I buy, right? If I then go to the service station, what am I looking at? Maybe three to four, three to five dollars. It's the same water, right? It's the same plastic that makes the bottle. It's just gone up in price because it's a service station. Now, if I go to the airport, <laughs> right? 
I'm getting closer to six or seven dollars. Now if I go to the NRL grand final tonight, I'm probably talking ten dollars for a bottle of water. And you know I'm not joking. Now what's changed? The water's still the same. The plastic's still the same. The label might be slightly different. But quite often you can just have a Mount Franklin in all those locations. What's changed? The location. So I want to challenge us with this. If we're feeling like we're worth 50 cents rather than the $10, maybe we need to look at where we've placed ourselves. Maybe we need to look at what we're surrounding ourselves with. Are we watching Netflix instead of reading our Bible? Are we listening to too much country music and not enough worship music? (laughs) And I'm preaching to myself there, right? (laughs) Am I watching shows that are not of the values of God? Or am I choosing to watch something with a filter and choosing to be specific about what I'm taking in? Am I involved and active in my small group? Or am I too busy to be in a small group? Am I making church a priority? Am I stepping out and having encouraging conversations with my friends? So if we're feeling worth 50 cents instead of $10, maybe we need to think about where we are and where we've placed ourselves and what we're surrounding ourselves with. So, Timothy Keller has this great quote. And also, I'll just say, if you are really like me and you're going to be missing this series, Tim Keller's book, Encounters with Jesus, is also phenomenal. So if you're a reader, I do highly recommend that book. But Tim says this, your feelings come from where you find your hope. Where is your happiness and your significance? So if we're starting to feel a bit, uh, I, I don't know about you, but the last few weeks for me haven't been the smoothest. We have those, we have mountaintops and we have valleys, right? And I've been kind of in a little bit of a, it's okay, I'm okay. But I know myself, if I choose to come back to God, if I choose to read my Bible, if I choose to speak encouragement, my feelings change back to hope because my significance is not in my situation or the world. My significance is who God calls me to be. This widow could have just fallen in a heap, and she was. She was upset. They're carrying her son through the town in a coffin Through the town, a procession like we saw with the queen, the whole town has stopped to look. The Bible tells us twice that there's a large crowd that has gathered in this situation. My favorite part of this scripture comes next at verse 13, and we get to talk about the compassion of Jesus. So when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Can you picture that? Can you picture the whole town, right, is watching this coffin. Jesus and his disciples come and they stop the procession, right? Just imagine that queen's procession and someone walking and stopping. It's huge. It's massive. It's going to be the talk of the town, the fact that it stopped, let alone that Jesus then did more. But he stopped and he came to her and he comforted her and he said, do not weep. Honey, dry your eyes. I've got this. I love you. Do not weep. I had a great chat to Scott about this word compassion through the week. And compassion from the Greek, because I had an English definition, but the Greek's just like so much better. So the Greek actually says to be moved as to one's bowels, hence to be moved with compassion or have compassion. Now to give you more explanation than that, for the Greek, the bowels were thought to be the seat of love and pity. 
So Jesus is walking through town with his disciples. He's seen this funeral procession and he has been moved to a point where he can't just watch. He's been moved to a point where he's got to step in, come alongside, where he's got to try and comfort her. How often do we let ourselves be moved like that? So this procession has stopped, but there's more to come. Then he came and touched the open coffin and those who carried him stood still. This is back in the society where people were seen to be clean and unclean. If you were unclean, it meant major things. You're not allowed in the tabernacle. You're not allowed to be around others. Jesus stopped and touched the open coffin. That immediately made him unclean. That's huge. For him right then to change what he was going to do, that is huge for Jesus to become deliberately unclean. But Jesus didn't worry. He was seeking his daughter who was hurt and lost and showing compassion on her. And he has stopped and he's touched the coffin. Don't cry, he said, but he didn't end the conversation there. He took specific actions to stop and dry her tears. He spoke life into the widow's son and he raised him from the dead. Jesus wanted to impact the widow in a positive way and he was willing to risk uncleanliness to do so. Anyone who touched the dead body would then be unclean for seven days. That's pretty huge. Being unclean meant he wasn't able to enter the tabernacle and the priest would always try to avoid that. But here was Jesus risking being unclean and he was not concerned of what that meant because he was chasing after this widow and showing her compassion. I've got another Timothy Keller quote for you about compassion, and I'm going to warn you, this one got me good. Okay? So when we look at people who've brought trouble into their lives by their own foolishness, we say things like, serves them right, or we mock them on social media. What kind of imbecile says something like this? When we see people of the other political party defeated, we gloat. This is all a way of detaching ourselves from them. We distance ourselves from them partly out of pride and partly because we don't want their unhappiness to be ours. But God doesn't do that. He shows us this in this story. Real compassion, the voluntary attachment of our heart to others, means the sadness of the condition makes us sad. It affects us. It moves us to our bowels like it did for Jesus. That is deeply uncomfortable, but it is the character of compassion. How often do we actually get in and show real compassion to others? How often do we get into the mess and the mud and walk alongside people? Do we suffer with them? Do we cover them and the situation completely in prayer? How often have we had a moment where we've gloated? I'm going to be honest. I'm going for the Panthers tonight. I'm going to have to hold back tomorrow if they win to not you know, say something mean about the Eels. I don't know if anyone else is into NRL as much as I am right now, but <laughs> I'm just, anyway, there's Christians in the Panthers team, it's exciting, but, um, but I know I do it, right? If something happens that works in my favour or what I was hoping, it's, it's easy to just kind of get caught up and gloat, or if you're a, I don't know, political fan and something's not happening, it's easy to say, well, the other party would have done this, but we forget that the people we're talking about 
are loved by God the same way we are. We forget that the people hearing our conversations are looking at us as ambassadors of Christ. And my challenge is not only the words I say, but the words I think. Because I can get pretty good at filtering sometimes, right? But honestly, as Christians, I don't think these words should even cross our mind. We should be going back to what does God say? What, how do I have compassion in this situation? Jesus stopped what he was doing. He stopped walking with those disciples. He saw this woman in need. He had compassion on her. He touched the open coffin, risked himself being seen differently, risked himself not being able to do what he needed to do next to show compassion on her. How often do we do that? How often do we get into the mud with our friends and our peers and those that are going through stuff? And I use the word mud because sometimes it feels like that, right? You don't always know the answer. There's not always a black and white solution. But showing compassion is just about coming alongside. It's kind of like, you know, Jesus on the cross. We come across and we put our arms across the situation. We come in and we support, we cover in prayer. Doesn't always have to be face-to-face, can be on the phone, can be a text message, can be an email, can even be a situation we've seen that we're coming in and talking about with compassion. We can only do this with God's help. I know I can't, I'm human. We can only do this with God's help. When we act with godly compassion, it is likely others will then be called to Jesus. Think of those that were watching this procession on the day that they saw Jesus stop, that they saw the sun raised from the dead. They are unlikely to ever forget that. Do you think that would be the table conversation at dinner that night? Hey, guess what I saw? Right? It was, if it happened today, I think it would probably be on TikTok or whatever the latest social media trend is in under a minute. But as Scott and I said as we were talking about that we probably wouldn't believe it. <laughs> But that changed other people's lives because they saw it, they witnessed it. We can do that too by the way we choose to react and love people. If we choose to react with love and compassion, we can change others' lives as well. When it comes to loving us, <laughs> we are Jesus' creation. When, we come to loving, when it comes to loving us, Jesus is completely unconcerned about what it means to and for him. Jesus stepped in without fear. So if you're still with me, you're doing well. Good? All right, point number three. It brings us to our hope. This story has ultimate hope. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And Jesus said, young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And then Jesus presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all and they glorified God. Can you just picture this, right? Large crowd, coffin, man sitting up out of coffin. Are you, like, are you getting this image? And then all of them around are saying, a great prophet has risen up amongst us. God has visited his people. I then imagine there would be singing, there would be cheering, there would be a very large, no- a very large noise happening. I just think that's pretty cool. Right? Now, the story of resurrection is important in this. The son was raised from the dead. Why is it important? I think there's two things it does for us. One, it helps us with our doubts. 
We're humans and life can take us on journeys. And I think it's easy to have doubts about how much Jesus loves us, how much he will chase after us. We can have doubts about my situation is too far gone. I've sinned too much. He can't love me. But this story reminds us that God will do anything. He raised his son from the dead for the widow. And it also points us to the cross. Jesus is indeed God, and this story backs it up. Only God has power over life, life and death. There's many stories of miracles in the Bible and in today's society. But only God can resurrect from the dead. Only God has that power. And we see that shown through Jesus. Jesus had compassion on this widow. He needed to act. She cried out, she asked, and he answered. So let me say this. What are we not asking God for right now? What are we thinking, no, I'm too far gone, that's too hard, that's too big, and we're not actually asking God? Because you know what? He knows already. He knows what, what we want, what we need. But sometimes we need to ask. Maybe you feel like your situation's just too big, too tough, too hard. But God loves us. He knows our situation and he's not scared. He'll step in. We just need to come to him. Back in 2007, I had hmm, a tough year. <laughs> I'd injured my back picking a pair of socks up off the floor. And if you've ever done your back, I split my disc in three places. So I split my L4, L5 and 3. So I had immediately two numb feet and at 26, I lost bladder control. <laughs> it was not a fun time. <laughs> I'm just trying to make light of the situation. At the moment, I was studying my PhD, so I was a scientist at the time. I was um, at UQ, and I was doing a whole lot of study in chemistry, and it was actually the day of my final PhD seminar, which meant I had done all this work, I'd done all my research, and I was about to stand and present to my colleagues and friends what my research meant and get feedback um, so I could then go the next step of finishing my thesis. If you want to know what my, what my research was in, come ask me later. I'll lose you all if I go there. <laughs> but the morning of this, I literally rolled out of bed. My feet were cold. I picked socks up the floor, and I have never experienced pain like that before. Had to call my parents who lived on the Gold Coast to come and somehow get me down two flights of stairs to get to the hospital. That situation went on for a number of months. And this was, as I said, 2007, so they dealt with things a little bit differently then. I had to go on a walking stick. I, it was just, you know, you can kind of imagine. Trying to sit and write a thesis was also not going to happen because sitting just didn't work. I don't think I've ever felt as hopeless as I did in that situation because when you're in pain like that, it's hard to think. It's hard to feel joy. But God used that. I had a choice. And our pastor at the time, Stu Cameron, um, spent a lot of time praying for me and working with me through that. But I knew I had to make a choice. My choice was either to get mad at God and run away, because I was pretty mad, let's be honest. I was only in my early 20s. I was about to finish something I'd worked so hard for. I, I could have either turned and been mad, or I could turn and actually draw in and go, God, I don't understand, but I need you more than I've ever needed you. I chose number two, but it was really hard. <laughs> it was really hard. 
I chose number two. I reached out to friends. I said, pray for me. I don't know what this means. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what the next step is. At that point, doctors couldn't do a whole lot. To get to the end of that story, it was three months, but I'm obviously walking. <laughs> and I'm pain-free now. But it was, it was a long journey. But through that time when all I could do was lie on the couch and lie in bed and cry out to God, he spoke to me. And C.S. Lewis has this quote that just sums up the moment to me so perfectly, so well. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciousness, but shouts in our pain. And that's exactly what I felt God do in that season for me. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I don't know why that injury happened to me. I don't know why those three months of my life were the way they were, but I do know that that was a turning point or a watershed moment for me. I was going down a path of being a scientific researcher, which, to be honest, I found really isolating. It's exciting being the only one in the world finding out something and doing stuff, and I was working with magnets that are like this round and this tall and nuclear reactors and lots of fun stuff. But, <laughs> but it wasn't necessarily what I felt I was called to do. It was in this season where I felt God say, where's your heart, where's your passion? And it was this moment that shifted my projection to now become a teacher. And I know without a doubt that I am where I am called to be. I know without a doubt that God is using me in my job, in my ministry. But I had to choose. I had to choose whether I was going to come to God for my hope or whether I was going to turn and be angry and bitter. As I said, I've never felt so hopeless. But I can talk about it now with joy because I know what fruit that brought after. He used, my he used this pain as an opportunity to show just how much he loved me. It changed my life for the better, but all I had to do was trust and speak to him. We can do the same thing in our moments where we feel hopeless. We can turn to come to Jesus. The widow saw Jesus. <laughs> she cried, he was moved, he acted. Jesus will do the same for us. The same Jesus that showed compassion to the woman who took on her grief later died on the cross for you and for me. Maybe you feel like your situation's just too far gone, too much, too much, but there's no situation that God is afraid of or that he won't intercede in. We don't have to do anything to earn it, we just have to trust and accept. We are like the child in this story. We are like the son in this story, being carried through town in an open coffin, the whole town stopping to watch, but we are dead in our sin in the same way this child was dead. God will raise us again. He will raise us to live with him. All we have to do is come. And he's not afraid of our honesty. <laughs> he's really not afraid of our honesty, I can tell you. <laughs> he's not afraid of our tears. He's not afraid of our pain but he is the ultimate source of our hope. So, you doing well? Got our three points? Great. What has this encounter with Jesus taught us about his character? Jesus saw the woman. He didn't see her situation. Jesus saw the woman as someone of, of worth, someone of love, the same way he looked at us. He doesn't look at us by our status, he doesn't look at me and go, oh, you're single. He looks at me and says, you're Katie and I love you. 
God sees us through the lens of his perfect creation. Jesus showed compassion. He was unafraid to step out and break local custom to chase after the woman that he saw and was moved to help. He'll do the same for you and me. And finally, God is our hope. Through the good and the bad, he will always be faithful if we choose to trust and come to him. So if nothing else, I hope you take something out of today. I hope you think about where you're placing yourself. Are you feeling worth 50 cents or $10? And if you're feeling like you're at this end, then what do you need to change to get to here? I hope that if we're afraid to show compassion or we've hit too much, that you'll come and you'll ask for us to pray with you so that we can show God's compassion to the world. And if you're in a situation that feels hopeless, that you think only God can change, I hope you'll let us intercede with you, that you'll come to him, that you'll be honest, that you'll step out. Because Jesus loves you. Jesus loved you the same way he loved this woman. He loved her so much, he raised her son back to life. What will he not do for you? What have we been holding back on asking him? I keep getting that song as a child in my head as I've been preparing this message, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I think that sums up this message really well. That Jesus loves us, this I know, because stories like this in the Bible tell me so. Lastly, let me leave you with my last Tim Keller quote, and I apologise, there's lots of Tim Keller, but honestly, his book is phenomenal. So this last quote, um, God's reckless grace is our greatest hope. God's reckless grace is our greatest hope. Doesn't matter what we've done, doesn't matter who we are, God is our greatest hope. He is our greatest love. Will you join me in prayer as we finish? Lord, I thank you that you have moved this morning. Lord, I thank you that you have given us stories like this to just show us and remind us of how much you love us. And Father, I pray for the people here this morning that are feeling like the situation is hopeless. They're too far gone. The situation's too big. Father, I pray that you will come, that you will give us strength and courage to run to you, to come to you. Father, I pray for people here this morning that may not know their true worth in you. Lord, may you surround them with people that will encourage them, that will call them to you. May you surround us with ideas and friends that will make us feel our worth, Jesus. And Father, I pray for us that have compassion fatigue. Come and restore our hearts, Lord, to come alongside and be to the world the compassion that you call us to be. Father, I pray that you move even when we know you don't, when even when we don't feel it. And Lord, I pray this morning that you will work in our lives, that we will leave with a restored sense of who we are, how loved we are, and our hope in you, Jesus. Come, do what only you can, Lord. In your name, amen. We're going to sing some songs now that come back to talking about this reckless love of Jesus and our identity and who he calls us to be. 
if God's moved, if something's stirring in your heart, and sometimes that feels like a little bit of, oh, I'm getting a bit hot, or I'm not sure, or a little bit of a heart race, if that's you this morning, come down the front. We really want to pray with you. If God's stirring or something that I've said is picked in your mind, you're like, oh, I don't know, that, oh, that's doing something, come down. If you're in a situation that feels hopeless or you've got a friend who is, let us step in. Let us pray with you, come alongside you. Let us be God's compassion for you this morning if you need it. So we'll be down the front. Come and join us. We would love to pray for you. But if not, why don't you stand and worship with the team?